right. Well, thankful to be here this morning. Let's get our Bibles out, if you will. We're going to turn them to uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, getting back into our series on the apostates among us. And appreciate Brother Preston getting back in and filling in last Wednesday as we were away for our anniversary. Tremendous trip. Very thankful to be able to go up to Scotland and, and see the, uh, the vastness of the beautiful, beautiful country that it is. And uh, so 2 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be, guys. We're going to look in verses 10 uh, through uh, 16 today. We're going to do our very best to get through this lesson here. We are on our eighth installment of this series from 2 Peter chapter 2, tying it also into the book of Jude. And uh, so we'll see how far we can get, Lord willing, we can get through the entire uh, portion here today. Uh, verse 10, the Bible tells us, but chiefly... Uh, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise governments. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to ride in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you. Have an eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and a heart that have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children." which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Asor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Father, again, we come to you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be here. Uh, we would pray today that you please would bless in a mighty and wonderful way the teaching and preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be attentive to the, the word of God, to, uh, Lord, even the harshness, as Peter has written here, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I pray, dear God, that we would take it on board and that we would, uh, Lord, have a backbone to stand up against the apostates of our day. And Lord, that we wouldn't just uh, try to get along to go along. Father, I pray that we would take a stand against them, that we would try, dear God, in our best to, to be a witness and a light, Lord, to the dark and deceitful ways of these apostates in our world today. And Lord, they hold positions higher in, in prestige uh, uh, within the world, the religious council. Father, I pray for those people underneath them, those that they have taken on board, if you will, the doctor, the Nicolaitans, Lord, to conquer these lay people. Father, that, Lord, I pray that your ever-loving truth would be restored in their heart, that be brought forth to their mind, and, Lord, they would depart from the iniquity that these deceivers, Father, are bringing into their days, into the countries and the areas, the villages and the cities of where we find them. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So, so far, guys, we, we've see, we see exactly uh, who the ones who are teaching damnable heresies are. We've seen them. We see what judgment that they are going to meet. We understand very clearly uh, these apostates that Peter is referring to, the same ones that Jude is referring to, that Peter calls them false teachers, and so does Jude. And, and uh, we understand that these are lost, deceived individuals masquerading around as Christians. They're masquerading as church leaders, as pastors, as bishops, and uh, especially using the terminology vicars and priests, okay? Uh, I'm going to make it crystal clear right on the onset. Uh, the, using the word vicar is as anti-scriptural as you can get, 
All right, it comes from it's where the same place we get the word vicarious. Uh, there we are not a substitute nor a replacement for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no man on this planet or woman who is a go-between between us and the Lord Jesus Christ or, or, or God. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, not somebody masquerading around in a dress or whatever you want to call it. We have seen in our study thus far that their judgment will, will be as Sodom and Gomorrah's judgment was. Their judgment will be the same as the angels who left their first estate as well as the old world. That's the comparison that the Holy Spirit utilizes with, uh, or, uh, utilizes with Peter here, pinning his words, letting us know this is, the, this is what false teachers are equated to. The very destructions of Sodom and Gomorrah, the old world, the angels who left their first estate, and, and the judgment that is reserved unto them, the very same thing is likened unto these people. God doesn't take it lightly when someone perverts his word. God does not take it lightly when someone perverts, forsakes, puts off his church. Amen? The local New Testament church. Uh, it's not just a, a building on a block somewhere. He doesn't take it lightly. We need to remember that Jesus Christ, the church is built upon himself. All right? And we want to say, well, that's a universal body. I get it. I understand that. But it's the local church as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 says, uh, I say unto thee that thou art Peter upon this rock. Speak it of himself, not Peter. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He also said in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 11, he says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now that foundation, guys, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 is using uh, the formation that we are going to be judged upon on how we built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And it's only for believers he's speaking of there. So there are pseudo-Christians we have in our world today who have perverted the right ways of the Lord. Uh, it's an absolute shame. But they're merely working as devils. And I personally believe they need to be called out. I'm not saying that should be our central theme. I'm not saying that we should jump and grab our soapbox and, and stand out in front of all these uh, basilicas and cathedrals. And that's, I don't think that's our central job. Our central job is to get the gospel to the lost and dying. This lot right here, they're not going to get saved. This, these false teachers, Paul is, I mean, Peter is very clear about them. Again, we've used the definition, the explanation that Brother Adrian Rogers used, that they are someone who have received the truth, meaning they've heard it, they've rejected the truth, they've ridiculed the truth, and then eventually they try to replace the truth, and that's what they've done in their teaching. And they've hoodwinked millions upon millions of people. It's an absolute shame, and I do believe they ought to be. What they do, working as devils behind the scene, uh, they have inoculated entire populations of people. They've inoculated people with their heresy, making it nearly impossible for the gospel to penetrate the heart. We've seen this in, 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 in especially in the South, uh, in America, where you knock someone's door, you, you introduce your church. Oh, yeah, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. My mother, mother's brother, uncle, twice removed. He was a Baptist deacon in the church. I, I know I'm going to heaven. That ain't getting you to heaven. That ain't getting you to heaven at all. Amen. And, but but that, that little bit of truth, that minor truth, even if it's just the name of Jesus, inoculates a population and they believe an act that they did when they were eight weeks old that some pervert you know put them in, into a baptistry and they believe all of a sudden i'm going to heaven because of that time that's a shame guys it is an outright shame and i'll tell you what is even a bigger shame it's for us who know the truth to sit back and do nothing about it just say nothing to not take the truth of the word of god that we have 
and just to sit silently, quietly on our hands and just hope that it gets better, it's not going to get better. Evil men shall act worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the Bible. But there are people and souls that need to be saved and born again. And they're not going to be saved and born again if they're locked into the heretical teaching that these false teachers have brought forth in these damnable heresies. So as we get into verse 10, guys, verse 10, we see another uh, earmark of, uh, of the apostate. Now, I want you to notice this on the verses today. On the heels of verse 9, where Peter says, and to receive the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished, the Lord has Peter write these words. He says, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. He says, chiefly. And I don't know about you guys, I, I, I underlined that. I added the emphasis on the scriptures on the screen. Chiefly. In other words, especially those, Okay. It's like, hey, there are those out there walking uh, in uncleanness. They're walking in the flesh. And the majority of our village here are walking in uncleanness. They're walking in their own carnality. They're walking in their own flesh. And, and we see it every single day and, and uh, uh, the things that they commit. But the, he's speaking of these false teachers. He says, chiefly them, the unjust who walk in their flesh and their carnality, the lustfully, uh, there is a special judgment, a deep, dark judgment for those teachers of damnable heresies, keeping people because they're walking in their own lust. Now, I realize, guys, for some, this is an uncomfortable conversation. I completely understand that. For someone who has never been part uh, of the rituals and the pomp and the so-called high church, guys, it's easier to talk about. I've never been locked into that. And so I understand. I got the truth I got it early, I got a hold of it, I locked into it. I, I didn't have to decondition myself from all the pomp and all the ritual and all the ridiculous looking incense and good night, man. I mean, I didn't have, and, and so I'm thankful for that, you understand? And I understand people when they're locked into that their entire life because they have to come to an understanding that I've been wrong, they're wrong, mom and dad are wrong, grandpa and grandpa are wrong, great, great, grand, everybody's been wrong all this time believing this type of lie. So I, could, I completely understand it. I know it's uncomfortable. However, the truth must stand alone. Whether I like the truth or whether you like the truth or whether whoever's listening to us today, whether they like the truth, it has to stand alone. It has to stand beyond our own personal preferences and traditions, and that's key. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who rebuked the Pharisees for their traditions, calling them wicked guys. And ever since the 4th and 6th centuries, mind, traditions, rituals, perverted teachings have been no different than what Jesus called out that day. I personally think it's worse. You know, Peter had said that we have today a more sure word of prophecy. We have more scripture today. And that was when Peter was writing. When John finally finished the book of Revelation, guys, we were given a completed word of God, a completed work here. We had more information of what's going to happen in the end times, more information of what the, the, the actual truth is than all of those Pharisees did. They had the Old Testament. All right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, whether you, I mean, whether you agree with that or not. I'm saying, okay, fine. Jesus still rebuked them. He still said a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. He still rebuked them, and, and he rebuked them uh, harshly. But we are without excuse even 10 times more than the Pharisees that day because we have the truth. And yet in the fourth century, the creation of the Catholic institution began to pervert what the truth we have. And then in the 16th century, when uh, the kissing cousin with the Church of England and, and with the Anglican uh, development with, uh, with Henry VIII, because he wanted to get a divorce, they still pledged their allegiance to the Holy Catholic Church. 
We took it off their website. We, we read the, the entire inscription during a baptism, a baptism, guys, during a christening, and it's a cry in shame. I ask, I wonder any, how any saved, born-again individual can pledge their allegiance to the Catholic Church. It's not a church, and it sure ain't holy. He rebukes the traditions, the rituals, the perverted teachings. Now, I want you to remember something here. Chiefly among them, right? Revelation 20, verses 11 and 12. Read it from the screen with me. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books. Now, if you underscore in your Bible, circle the word books, were open. And another book, singular, was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And there's a reason the book of life is opened, okay? And we won't go over that right now. Uh, it's, it's for another time, but if you want, you can always read Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, and you'll find out why the book of life is opened. But it specifically says the dead. Those are unsaved people. That's whose name are not found written in the Lamb's book of life, the dead. They're judged according to what? Their works. Plural, books. A record of every one of their works. There's a separate, these are separate books than that of the book of life. These books of, uh, are open, these books of works, and they're judged according to the works to determine the level of torment they will receive in the lake of fire, which the lightest part of torment would be, in, would be multiple torments found in hell today, which is in the heart of the earth. Luke chapter 16, verse 23 and 24 uh, confirms that. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So he's tormented in the flame. We find out in the first, uh, verse 23 that there's torments, plural. And, that, and again, that's just hell. That's before the final judgment. Hitler today is burning in a devil's hell this morning. That's where he is. And yet his final judgment is not up yet. He is tormented right now, night and day. He is in utter pain. He is in anguish that we is, is unimaginable to you and I. And yet one day he is going to be lifted up. And he's going to be judged according to the works he committed. The 12 million souls that he was directly responsible for killing on this earth today. He will give an account for those, and therefore he will find himself in, a, in a, low, a, a low area of the lake of fire where torments are you couldn't even imagine today. But this is the apostate's end as well. We always want to say Hitler this and Stalin that and, and Darwin this because and, and, it's easy to see how devilish and wicked and vile they are. But I'm going to tell you this, and you may throw a rock at me, that's fine. They're no more devilish than the dude down the street getting up in his nice little uh, gold and white outfit, going through with his incense and bowing down to Mary. He is more vile and wicked probably than Hitler. He's responsible of millions of people dying and going to a devil's hell because of the vile teachings that he teaches. You understand? That's the apostate's end. God will not turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to those who have robbed Israel of their promises who teach infant baptism, who give an entire population and generation of people a false sense of security. They are acting as devils in this world. 
And God is not going to turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to it. Now the next earmark that we find, the next earmark that we find in verse 10, is that the Bible says that they, he says in verse 10, he says they despise governments. Now guys, this is not necessarily referring to local and state governments. Now I've heard men teach that, all right? I've heard men teach that, that, uh, that, you know, how we ought not speak ill of local governments, state governments, you know, worldwide governments and things like that because of this particular verse. There, here's the thing. Uh, number one, uh, this is an earmark of, a, of an apostate. So if you're an apostate, don't do it. I'm just kidding. And listen, you know, that's not what it's referring to. That word government, guys, is, is referring to rules. It's, it's referring to rules. And um, we're going to see that here in just a second. Um, they despise rules. And uh, the word government shows up in the Bible four times. Here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, which is the only time in the New Testament it ever shows up. The other three times that the word government appears is in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and then Isaiah 22, verse 21. Guess who that's referring to all three times? The Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, Christmas is right around the corner. We're all going to read Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. We're all going to read Isaiah 7, 14. We're all going to read that, that verse in our Christmas uh, celebrations in the church and our candlelight services and whatnot. These are references to the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what we need to understand. 2 Peter chapter 2 is making it very clear. These apostates despise the rule of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, they wouldn't butcher his word. Is that not common sense this morning? Or they wouldn't alter his doctrines, would they? They wouldn't uh, have central beliefs of baptismal regeneration, which includes infant baptism, predestination of salvation, seeking the forgiveness from a man in a shadowy box, or transubstantiation. The list could go on of their false doctrines they teach, none of which are taught in the Holy Word of God. So if they didn't despise the rule of Jesus Christ, they would fall underneath His authority and submit to His Word that He's given us. Amen? Yet they've taught things, eat not this, don't eat that, blah, blah, blah. Those are damnable hair. Those are wrong doctrines, guys. Wrong doctrines. Um, these vicars and priests, they're apostates. All of them are apostates to the core. I'm just going to make that clear. And, and again, I, guys, I understand you say, well, you know, they're just deceived. They got the same book I do. They got the same book you and I got. All right? I don't have some kind of special intellect. And find the, I didn't find the secret of the Bible. It's there in the open for everyone. You didn't find the, the secret code. To the, there's no Bible code, amen? The Lord, the Lord God has made the Word of God very clear to understand. It is mankind who has confused it by alternate and perverting it and all these, these modern versions that come. They're nothing but garbage. I wouldn't read one to save my life. But the list can go on, guys. They despise having Jesus Christ rule over them. Otherwise, they would not be part of an organization which teaches damnable doctrines. It is that simple today. And how someone can listen to a man who gets in a pulpit, or a woman for that matter, and, and who says, well, a better translation or a better word here, I'm telling you, you mark that person and you know not to eat with them. You correct this Bible, I got nothing to do with you. Amen? So one may ask, why, why are they like this? Why, why in the world are they like this? If we, all have, if we have the same book, and, and if you look, as a matter of fact, if you actually Google what is the official Bible for the Church of England, guess what they say it is? King James Bible. I'm like, they read my King James Bible. Amen? Uh, they don't find any of their doctrine in my King James. But why do they do this? Why, why? We have to ask ourselves, why in the world do the apostates, if they have the same book, 
They read the same things. Why do they pervert the doctrine? Because they're just like their daddy. They're just like their daddy. Isaiah chapter 14 tells us this, and we know the scripture very, very, very clearly. How art thou fallen from heaven, O loose for son of the morning? All right, and it is son of the morning, by the way. All right, it's not day star. Jesus Christ is day star. All right, NIV likes to change that. How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also in the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Number five, I will be like the most high. And of course, the Lord says, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. That, that was what Lucifer did. This is how, he, how and why he was kicked out and removed, how Lucifer became Satan. The word Satan means adversary or to be against. He was Lucifer, which meant light bearer. He was the anointed cherub that covereth. We talked about this in Q&A Bible study yesterday. He was the fifth cherub that covered. you got four beasts around the throne, Revelation chapter 4. You see in Ezekiel chapter 1 that there's one beast missing. There's one uh, representation of all creation, the reptilian and aquatic uh, representation that you do not find in those cherubs in Ezekiel 1 or in the beast in, in Revelation chapter 4. Why? Because he was cast out of heaven. Why did he appear in the garden as a serpent? Because he is the representation of the reptilian and aquatic portion of creation. He was the anointed cherub that covereth. God made him that way. He was perfect. We read that in Ezekiel 28 yesterday in Q&A Bible study. But iniquity was found in him. How was it found? He said, I'm going to be like the most high. That's what he wanted to be. And so the, when people come against and they refuse, they despise governments, they refuse to have Jesus Christ as their authority. They have no problem whatsoever. They're acting like their daddy. So the next word that we see here in verse 10, we see the word presumptuous. We won't spend a lot of time on this right now, but the word presumptuous just simply means audacious. Uh, uh, someone daring, having the audacity, but not in a good way, if you will. So they're, you know, they, they, they do and say things that you're just like, wow, how in the world do they have the audacity to do that? Well, the other thing we find, the other earmark with them, uh, the Bible says that they are self-willed. That word self-willed means arrogant. It means self-pleasing, which is very contrary to, to the positions that they're holding, if they're biblical positions that they think they are, because Titus chapter 1, verse 7 speaks of a bishop saying, for a bishop must be blameless as the stewards of God, not self-willed. Not self-willed. Yet we find Peter very clear that the apostates in our world today are self-willed. This word, guys, self-willed, is linked to Genesis 49. There's a few verses that's linked to in the Old Testament. And notice this. Read this with me. Genesis 49 says, Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou in their secret unto their assembly, mine honor. Be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger. For it was fierce, and with their wrath, for it was cruel, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. This is God talking about these two. And that word self-willed is right slap in the middle of those three verses. Cursed be their anger. They slew a man. It's also linked to Proverbs 21, verse 24, proud and haughty. Scorner is his name who dealeth with in proud wrath. Remember, you cast forth the scorner, the scorn shall follow. Division shall follow. You get rid of the scorner that's in your midst, and the division and the divisiveness will cease. Amen? So, another earmark, another earmark of what the apostates are. 
another earmark found in the very same verse. It says they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, there's another, and I've heard men teach that this is a, this is a reference to dignitaries. This is not a reference to dignitaries. Now, we, we, we read, and it's easy to read into that, you know, and I've heard men teach and say, well, we ought not speak against high-ranking offices and such like and this and that. But guys, there's a problem with this type of interpretation. Besides being fairly wrong, it doesn't line up with the word, biblically speaking. Remember, the Bible is, has, the Bible, uh, is the best comp- commentary of the Bible, and the Bible has a built-in dictionary, okay? So this very same word here, uh, dignity, uh, is a reference to glory, glories, honor, praise, and worship. Matter of fact, the very same word that's translated perfectly in this verse right here into dignities is translated perfectly throughout Scripture. Glory is, trans- is translated into glory 145 times. Glory is 10 times. Honor, 6 times. Praise, 4 times. Dignity, 2 times. And worship, 1 time. And do you know what that means? We go back to what they've said. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. What does all of that mean? What does that word dignity mean? Glory, glories, honor, praise, dignity, worship. It means belonging to God or belonging to Christ. They're not afraid to speak of what belongs to Christ. They're not afraid to speak of the glory that belongs to God. They're not afraid to speak of the glory, the honor, the praise, the worship that belongs to God. You say, well, do they get up and they, they, they curse Jesus Christ? No, they do so in their damnable heresies, do you understand? Renaming what worship is. Changing what praise is. It's very clear, guys, when you read the Scripture, when you begin to break it down. So, these apostates have no boundaries in the use of their words, their doctrine, their teachings, their preaching, etc., they will speak evil of God. They'll speak evil of His Word. They'll speak evil of His doctrine. They just simply will pervert His Word. And they have no quorums in doing so. Now, I don't know about you. I think it's very easy for us as preachers to make a mistake. I think it is. We're, we're men. If I was to go back to 27 years ago, 20, however many years ago, and listen to one of those sermons, I would cringe and crawl underneath the table. Probably do that from a sermon let's do last year. But I'm just saying, uh, very easy. I mean, I've heard, I've heard men, when you listen to, uh, say, a podcast of sermons that were preached you know, 20, 30 years ago, and you're listening to them, and you, you, can, you catch the, when they misspeak about a verse. Well, verse 3 says this, and they really meant verse 2. That's, that's, that's just a simple mistake, and that's understandable. These are correcting and altering and changing the teaching of the Word of God. This is speaking evil of dignity, that which belongs to God, that which belongs to Christ alone. Now, verse 11, guys, verse 11, notice this here, the contrast. Or as angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against, watch this, them before the Lord. Now, I've heard men interpret this and, and try to tie this into the book of Jude where, uh, you know, where Michael wouldn't uh, launch an attack against uh, Satan uh, but yet in the name of Christ. And, and I, I see this, the, the similarities where it will tie to. But I want you to think about this, what they're saying, that even angels, even in comparison, angels won't even bring a railing accusation against the false apostate, against the false teachers, against the apostates to the Lord. And they're greater in power and might. So who in the world do these people think they are in speaking evil of that which belongs to God? 
that which belongs to Christ in Christ alone. Remember, we spoke about in the very beginning here that these apostates are referred to as these and them and they throughout this entire chapter. And yet we find here those that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, despise governors, presumptuous, or they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Even angels won't do what really and truly they should be justified to do. Amen? Why? Because judgment is of the Lord. Quite eye-awakening, I believe. Verse 12, verse 12. Guys, we've covered verse 12 very extensively in in this lesson. We're going to touch on it real quick this morning. And uh, I I do want to kind of, I think we're at a point where we can get, um, I'd like to get into the latter part, the back end of 12, and then we'll call it tonight or today, wherever, whatever time it is. So verse 12, the Bible says, But these as natural brute beings to be taken, uh, are made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall early perish in their own corruption. Again, we've covered this verse extensively throughout the lesson, uh, but the Lord likens the false teacher, the apostate, if you will, to a natural brute beast which was made, created, intended for, to be taken and destroyed. All right? Now, guys, that sounds harsh. I understand that. But this is also gives us evidence that an apostate has beyond, went beyond the, path, the point of salvation. That an apostate is someone who they received, they rejected, they ridiculed, and now they're working to replace, they are done with. And I know that sounds harsh because we, we want to look at the, uh, the grace of God. And I love the grace of God, and the grace of God is, is magnificent. But these guys have gone beyond that point. Very clear. Why? Because they're likened unto a brute beast. The scripture has given us that. They speak evil of things like eternal salvation. Now, we understand. Why Why do they not understand the simple doctrines of the word of God? Very simple. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, but, that, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Again, these people are lost. They've seared their conscience. They are deceived and going forth deceiving. They are apostates. And Paul makes it clear. They're not going to understand the Word of God because the Word of God is understood by the Holy Spirit. That's how it's discerned. Remember what Jude said in Jude uh, verse 10. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beast. In those things they corrupt themselves. Saying the same thing, essentially. Both Peter and Jude state the false teachers speak evil about the things they know not. And you may wonder why in the world they speak an evil about the things that they, uh, they understand not. Again, we go back to what we taught several weeks back. A good test of an apostate are those who understand not or reject biblical soul authority of faith and practice. Two, the two ordinances, which is proper baptism, uh, meaning, method, and motive included, and the Lord's table. The two offices, which are pastor and deacon. May I say men as pastor and deacon. Autonomy of the local church, priesthood of the believers, safe church membership, individual soul liberty, and eternal security. If any of these are rejected, taught contrary uh, against, much less spoken evil of, you mark it down. They are bona fide 100% apostates. Apostates. The Bible says they're called brute beasts. That word brute is defined as destitute of reason, okay? Contrary to reason or absurd. The word appears only two times in the AV. Our text here today, 2 Peter chapter 2, and guess where else? Jude 10, the word actual brute, okay? It comes from a Greek word, oligos, all right, oligos, in which is, it's only in the Bible one other time translated as unreasonable. 
And that's in Acts 25, verse 27, uh, in Felix's speech concerning Paul before King Agrippa. So think about it like this and get this picture of a raging bull. I, I, I used this illustration uh, a few weeks back or several weeks back. But a raging bull running through a city, there is no, no reasoning with a raging bull. Uh, the bull isn't going to uh, be coaxed or in, into calmness. Uh, none of those things. It, all it's going to do is run through a city and it's going to destroy and kill innocent souls. And the only recourse you have to save people's lives is to put it down. And that's what Peter and Jude are saying by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God is concerning these false teachers. Now, is it our job to kill them? No, it's our job to expose them. It's our job to take a stand on the Word of God, the truth, and the Holy Spirit's job to convict, get, convict people to get out from underneath that type of teaching. But both Peter and John, or both Peter and Jude, are saying the same thing about false teachers in their day as well as in our day. And it may sound harsh. I know to our soft mindset we have today, it may sound harsh, but the reality is these apostates are slaying souls of men and women by the millions. They're dangerous in all matters of life. I touched on this, and I'm going to close with this thought today. But I touched on this weeks back. So, the truth of Jude's letter. Jude's letter, we read in verse 3, uh, it's an unintended warning. Jude's desire, his personal desire, was to write unto them, write unto us, if you will, a letter about a common salvation. He, he wanted to, uh, and he tried with all his heart, he wanted to write about the joy of being saved. What a great thing to write about. But the Holy Spirit of God intervened, and by inspiration, the Holy Spirit of God wrote for him to exhort them, exhort us, to what? Earnestly contend for the faith. It come, that, that word earnestly contend, it comes from a Greek word which appears only in Jude 3, and it means to struggle for a thing or to agonize. Beloved, as of Monday, the 15th of November 2022, our world population hit 8 million souls. 8 million souls. What's funny, because only 11 years ago, it hit 7 million souls. As a matter of fact, uh, Sadie Satania Oshi from Bangladesh, was the seventh billionth child to be born in the world. She was born in October 2011. Our world has grown exponentially. In 1987, we hit 5 billion. And only 13 years later, 6 billion in 1999. And now today, 8 billion souls. 8 billion plus, more than likely. Now, do you know what this means when you put this numerically? It means that if only 67% of the world has heard a clear definition or clear presentation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ since AD 30, that means 5,360,000,000 souls will perish having never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Now that sounds off the charts today, doesn't it? When the, almost the entire population of the world can get on TikTok and watch some moron dance. Or they can get on uh, Instagram, or they can get on Twitter, or they can get on Facebook. We, I mean, we are a socially internet-connected society today. And it may sound nuts, but the key that I'm saying is a clear presentation. And beloved, the Catholics claim 1.3 billion people as followers. The Church of England, another 80, or Anglicans, another 85 million. The Reformed Church claims 80 million. Just with these lot alone, think of the false teachings. Think of the deception that is occurring. That doesn't even go into the cults that, you know, the dietary cults and uh, 
you know, the, the baptismal regenerists, the, the Campbellites, or the Church of Christ. That doesn't go into the, uh, the Mormons and all of their kooky knowledge about, you know, Satan and Jesus being brothers, and we were all on a planet one day, and we were sent down here. I mean, that doesn't even include them. And this is where the apostates thrive, guys. We look at the little snake handlers in Appalachia, and we think, man, that's just a cult. That ain't where apostates thrive. Yeah, those guys are off the charts. Yes, they got their doctrine wrong. They just, they're nutty and ometry. But where they thrive is in the masses. Where apostates strive is in the millions. And they lock down families. They lock down populations. They lock down countries. And they make you feel or make the individuals feel that you have lost your heritage of who you are if you depart from their organization. That's mafia. That's what that is. So guys, we live in a world today. We live in a world with 8 million plus people now, a majority of whom will never get a clear presentation of the gospel. And I mentioned this earlier today as we talked about missions. You know, guys, you're not going to go to hell if you don't support missions. Not at all. But there'll be millions that do if we don't. Now guys, I, you know, you going across the street and witnessing and passing out tracts, that doesn't... Um, exempt you for supporting missions financially through your local church. Given to whatever charity, and that doesn't exclude you for supporting local missions through your local church. This is the only biblical way to support missions. But we should go across the street and be a witness to the lost and dying world. We should go to our neighbors and be a witness to the lost and dying world. We should have our coffee, uh, our coffee meetings, our, our time during the day, our gym mates, our, our work mates, whatever it may be. We should be a witness to a lost and dying world. Time is short. And let it never be said that someone that came into your midst, that came into your days, that came into your surroundings, did not get a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, again, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be together. I pray now that you please watch over us. Forgive us where we have failed you. Give us the direction that we need, Lord, to better and best serve you. And, Lord, we just want to give you the honor, praise, and the glory. And thank you for this lesson this morning. We ask you, dear God, to please watch over us. Give us safe traveling mercies throughout the rest of this day. Lord God, I pray that you give us opportunities to be a witness for you. We love you. We thank you for who and what you are, for all that you have done. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.